0: Welcome to the first ever "This Movie Sucks" podcast, where me and my buddy CJ, the Bunny Defender, are gonna shit talk about movies. So uh, let's—we'll give a little bit of a, an intro for us. Uh, so I'm—I'm uh, I'm heresy. Probably should have led with that, but we bury the lead around here, uh, and. <laughs> I'm a I'm a content creator covering mostly miniatures, painting, Warhammer, all that kind of thing. And my buddy CJ here is a variety Twitch streamer, but he can tell
1: you about that. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Cedric Jameson, a.k.a. Bunny Defender, a.k.a. your mom's favorite Applebee's date. Uh, I do variety stuff on Twitch, mostly playing single-player games, and I have a Twitch-exclusive movie podcast, Movie Memories with Friends. Uh, and yeah, so we cross over a little bit there.
0: That was so much better than my intro. <laughs> but, you yeah, know, we, uh, we just decided uh, after talking a little bit back and forward in some Twitch streams and then, of course, Instagram and all that kind of stuff, this is something that we love and kind of wanted to do and explore a little bit more. Uh, we found out that we both have uh, an excruciating love of Kevin Smith movies, a sentiment not shared by a few.
1: Yeah, he he's he's definitely our particular taste. Oh, yeah. uh, he's not for everyone. Uh, this isn't even the Kevin Smith episode, but it is <laughs> something that linked us. <laughs> We're like, oh, you like Kevin Smith movies? I like Kevin Smith movies. So let's uh let's talk about those movies in a podcast. Yeah, or movies in general. Um, actually, maybe you could uh, because you brought me in later. You could explain how you came up with the name real quick. Uh, because while the podcast is called "This Movie Sucks." Uh, we won't be, you know, just decimating every movie we talk about.
0: (laughs) Well, you don't know that yet. You haven't seen my scores. (laughs) 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 But no, essentially, so this movie sucks. Uh, The title for itself actually came from a place that I think a lot of us can kind of relate to. Uh, A bunch of movie critics, you know, professional movie critics, that will absolutely flame a movie and it will go on to be maybe not a box office success, but, you know, post-release, it does <laughs> amazingly. Like how many cult films have we seen now that have just been absolutely railed upon release? And that's, yeah, just a, a little uh, little tongue in cheek, a little poke at the professionalism of it all.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. I think it's really funny that we're both just trying so hard not to curse right now. Yeah. We know we're going to have to go through
0: and censor them and we're trying so hard. (laughs) The more, the more we swear, the more work it is for me in (laughs) (laughs) post-production. So after talking for a little bit, um, this was actually originally an idea that I had with another buddy of mine uh, who dropped out and I thought CJ would probably make, the absolute perfect co host on a show like this. Uh, one, because he remembers movies better than I do, um, but two, because he's actually funny. I don't know about that. I'm there for the shock value of every time somebody doesn't want to say. There I am. <laughs> <laughs> There's one. There's one for you. <laughs> one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing we don't. Uh, it's a good thing that it's just pro- post production editing and not like an actual swear jar because we'd be broke.
0: I could probably retire off of my swear jar. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so let's let's jump into the, the first movie and why we picked it. Uh, first week's first movie. The very first movie is oddly something that neither of us had seen. Mm. Mm-hmm. Ridley Scott's 1979 Alien. So this is probably why this episode's entitled, How the Fuck Haven't We Seen This? <laughs> now, did you face a lot of
1: berating and chastising from your movie friends like I
0: did for not having seen this movie before? I haven't told anybody that I haven't seen this movie. <laughs> I've That's I've smart. seen I've seen enough uh clips and shorts and references to the movie that I can kind of fake my way through it. Uh up mm. until up until we had to do a podcast on it. <laughs> and even then, in the back of my mind, there was a, there was a little thing. It's like I I could do it. That could be uh that could be hilarious. <laughs> that that should have been that's another podcast where one guy has seen the movie and the other hasn't. And then you, at the end, you have to guess which one of us has seen the movie, right? right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> While we're talking about the movie right now, this is probably the best part point in in the show to say if you have not seen Alien, like we hadn't now's the time to pause the podcast shuffle off to your to your preferred viewing station and watch this movie because we are going to be talking heavy spoilers basically dissecting the story
0: look i'm 50/50 on that um yes there is 100% going to be spoilers in here so if you haven't seen it yet fair enough because we hadn't up until like the last week or so uh in saying that Spoilers saying spoilers on a movie that's 44 years old is also kind of <laughs> stupid, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, let's let's jump in a, a, a few little facts about Alien, uh, because mm-hmm. obviously, you know, we want to be prepared, we have a look at a few things, especially when it's a movie we hadn't actually seen before. So, 1979 it was released, so it's post Star Wars, which that actually comes into play a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. so the story, um, which was written by Dan O'Badden was actually, uh, had been presented a few times and got knocked back every single time until Star Wars came out. Um, inside, inside the biz, uh, I say the biz, like I'm a part of it inside the biz. Um, there's actually a lot of talk saying that this is the movie that only happened because Star Wars did. Because um, once Star Wars Ooh. came out and it was such a big, all-consuming thing uh, in the box office in the 70s, uh, studios raced to try and get anything in space, anything sci-fi out. And this one just got the tick of approval. Um, it had rewrite after rewrite. Still, people were saying, no, it's not for us. It's not the right time. And then it got picked up after Star Wars, which I thought was kind of awesome. Absolutely.
1: It does feel very uh, Star Wars uh, when you're watching it, like like a horror Star Wars.
0: Yeah, yeah. And see, it, the cool thing with that is, because um, I picked up on a lot of Star Wars vibes in there when we we're watching. And I think one because of you know it's sci-fi in the '70s. Um, instantly, mm-hmm. sci-fi '70s. You think Star Wars. Uh, but Dan O'Badden, was he was actually part of the team that made Star Wars. Uh, so the guy, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he was the uh, the computer animation and graphics display guy, and he also worked on the miniatures and optical effects unit. So that he, makes so much sense. Yeah, because now when you look at like and see, this is kind of stuff. Like I watched this for the first time, um did a bit of research about it, and then actually went back and watched it a second time the next day to kind of pick up on those things. And that's when things started really clicking. Like you can think back and he's like, oh yeah. I can I can almost see the wires now just like in Star Wars. Like it's like it's it's just so similar. Like a lot of those same ideas and same shots and frames were kind of I don't want to say reused because there isn't any finite amount that you can. But a lot of that, you know, does become quite apparent after you after the fact, after you know. After all that we they ended up getting a budget of eleven million dollars, um, which is post inflation and it box officed at 187.4 million again uh taking into inflation but this uh they're pretty pretty big numbers i couldn't find the the original box office and budget numbers uh it seems like everybody has a pretty big hard on for what would this movie be costing and making today um mm-hmm. which is which is fine but uh a couple of other things uh from Dan O'Badden himself. So he actually wrote, directed, and starred in as a helicopter pilot in 1985's Return of the Dead. Now, I've seen that movie a bunch of times, and I remember the helicopter pilot in there. I was like, oh, <laughs> he was, uh, he's actually somebody. Uh, that wasn't just some extra stuff. But no, I thought that was pretty, pretty damn cool. And he also actually wrote Total Recall, the original one. Oh, really? Yeah. So he was all in that sci-fi stuff. He was all up in there. Uh, he also wrote the story for the remake as well.
1: Is... I mean, if you're going to do a remake, you want to get the guy who wrote the original.
0: But there's there's almost a point, like, if you're going to do a remake and get the guy that did the original, why are we not just watching the original? Special effects are better. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> George has tried that a few times in Star Wars. I don't know where he ended up with that. <laughs> That's
1: that's a story. That's a that's a conversation for another podcast. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that could that could be a trilogy of trilogies of podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I I just thought it was kind of cool. So before we jump in with a, a few more facts about the movie itself, we should probably actually talk about the movie. Now, the best description that I've heard uh, for the synopsis, synopsis, sorry, is nobody listens to smart woman everybody dies except smart woman and her cat. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, pretty much sums it up. If you want to boil it down, that that's what happened in this movie.
1: Yeah. Which is funny because, uh, the, the character of. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Sigourney Weaver's character. Why am I blanking on her name? Uh, Ripley, Ripley. Yes. Uh, she, was originally written as a man, yeah, and then was not changed to be a woman until they saw uh, Sigourney Weaver's screen test,
0: which was fantastic. I can't even imagine that that same role as a mm. as a male lead. Yeah, but yeah, so, absolutely. But uh, so the actual story is you know there's a the Nostromo is a basically it's a tugboat in space. Um, and it's heading back to Earth. It's got seven crew members um, in a cryo sleep. They wake up because the computer picks up a distress call. They stop to kind of check it out, and essentially find a whole bunch of aliens. And it happens from there. Uh, but that's 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 really it. That's like as far as an idea, it's it's quite simple. Um, and it is mm-hmm. when it boils down, it's it's a very simple movie. But that doesn't mean it's bad.
1: No.
0: No, no. no, simple done well
1: is some of the yeah. best stuff.
0: Oh yeah. It's when you get over complex that's that can ruin mm-hmm. it pretty quickly. Um but no, so yeah, basically we have uh we have seven seven crew members, uh and we start to kind of unpeel a lot of layers. We find out more about the, the corporation itself, which uh I've read a few reviews now and a lot of people are actually putting the corporation as almost the uh the eighth uh kind of cast member or the the eighth role as mm-hmm. far as this goes because that's pretty mm-hmm. integral to the plot. Yeah, absolutely. Like you feel the
1: presence of the corporation and what their uh wants and influences are, uh, pretty much in in every scene where they have to decide something.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like uh even even one of the opening scenes of, you know, they hear the distress signal. They're all woken up, they're talking about it and Some of them just don't want to go. They don't want to check it out. They want to get home. They want to get their money, all that kind of thing. And that's where Captain Dallas um, starts pulling out, you know, well, actually in the contracts it says that we have to. Anybody that doesn't comply doesn't get paid. And that turns into a – it's pretty small at the time, but it turns into kind of a big point of the story for me as we get deeper into the movie itself. Because uh, like, later on, we're going to spoil the entire movie right now. Right at the beginning. About 10 minutes, 15 minutes in, <laughs> and you're going to hear the entire thing. Because um, we we later on down the track find out that this was actually the entire point of the mission. Right. Like it was to to capture and bring back uh, some of these specimens of this, this alien race, the xenomorphs. Uh, bring them back for studying this whole... That's what this entire thing was. It was just a a big roundabout way to send out a crew um, without really having to give them hazard pay. And if that
1: doesn't just hit home, if that doesn't just feel like the most relatable part of the movie, the corporation exploited their workers, didn't give them all the information, and also didn't want to pay them.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And And that's where... That's where this movie, I don't know about you, but this movie didn't feel dated to me. Like I know it's in no. fu- I know it was in the future, but there's a there's a lot of movies based in the future, like Back to the Future, for example. Like I know it hits hit, mm-hmm. roughly hits our time that we're alive now, but it didn't feel old, it didn't feel past it. As far as I could tell, there wasn't even anything where you you have to make that internal thought of uh oh, that's not a right to say today but you know back in the 70s that was that was common there was nothing like that there was no overspill that i picked up on uh just pure story of big company bad yeah <laughs> no I, I would agree with that uh all the uh all the characters
1: feel uh pretty multifaceted and and layered uh the way they're written and they're written as if you know like you could put yourself in that table that they're sitting around having dinner, yeah. and you can see yourself just having a conversation with those characters. Yeah, uh, they're not uh, it, like like you said. It doesn't feel dated, and and it feels very uh, the writing feels very natural with how they interact with each other. Uh, and uh, it's it's almost like you know what doesn't matter to the everyman now doesn't matter to the everyman. In the future, either
0: exactly, yeah, like uh, like Brett and Parker, all they all they wanted to do was get their money and get home. Like they've done their job. Um, mm-hmm. We're essentially talking, uh, you know, any any kind of role at the moment where you have to go away for work. Like if I don't know if you're working in the mines or something like that, where you're flying in and out, you go and do your week, you come back, you go and do your, you know your deployment if you're in the army kind of thing. Uh, you get mm-hmm. in, get out, get home. Uh and I think that's the the same feeling. Like if, hell, even if you're not in those kind of roles, even just going to work for eight hours a day, you want to get in, get out, get your paycheck, get home. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, I mean, it's they're doing cryo sleep and all that, but basically basically this was Friday afternoon quitting time. Yep. And they were like, All right, ready to quit and get paid and then their boss was like, We actually need you to work overnight into Saturday. Exactly.
0: And they were like, F that. <laughs> Yeah, because like in in one of those opening scenes where they do come out of cryosleep, um, and then they discover that they're still like ten months away from home. Like this, mm. this isn't where it's supposed to be. Like they were expecting to you know lay down, wake up, and they're going to be home, like just ready to come come back in. Um, and uh, that wasn't the case. No, no, no. <laughs> not even a little bit. That wasn't the case. As far as the story goes, it's pretty slow. Uh this was mm. a this was a pretty slow burning film right up until the third act. Yeah. Uh which
1: I think works to its benefit.
0: Oh yeah. If you're going to watch it in its entirety in one sitting, which I would recommend doing. 100%, that's that's what actually draws Joey. Movie. Yeah. Um well, I'll say that the first time I actually put it on, I made it through like halfway and I was like oh, this is boring. Uh, it's just, there's just nothing, there's <laughs> nothing going on, nothing's popping out. Um, cause we get halfway through the movie without a main protagonist. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't actually pop up, um, that Ellen Ripley is the main character in the film for a long time. Yeah, she's not, uh, Sigourney Weaver, I was surprised, is not the top build,
1: yeah. uh, actor in this movie. Yeah. It's, um uh, Tom... Tom Skerritt. Yeah, Tom Skerritt is is the top build. Sigourney Weaver is the second build.
0: And actually, while we're talking about Tom Skerritt, we probably should have gone through a little bit of the cast, but uh, that's fine. Uh, Tom Skerritt is in a few other things, Um, but of course I don't pull down his big roles. Uh, So CJ, you don't know this one, but he was Mike Viper Metcalf in Top Gun. I do not know that one <laughs> um, <laughs> because C- Mr. CJ himself has not seen Top Gun, which was fine. I was why were heartbroken. Gonna, why but- are we going to air my dirty laundry? <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting to it. So uh, we'll we'll catch a future future episode with Top Gun on here. But a little a little fun fact for those playing at home: um, if you've watched anything of mine or CJ's, uh, I actually have a studio band called Call Sign Viper, named after. Uh, Mike Metcalf in that film. Uh, so, of course, that was the first uh, first little filmography thing that I pulled out for him. Uh, the other thing that you may not know, and this is something that uh, CJ and I have in common, uh, he plays Judge Taff in SVU. Law and Order SVU, he's Judge Taff.
1: No way. Yeah.
0: He's a recurring character. Oh, in that. man. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's old in, in SVU, but...
1: Yeah. Yeah, oh man, I didn't even recognize I just watched an episode with him yesterday.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, when I saw that, I was like, oh shit, that that tracks. Um, uh, but then, you know, obviously he was in a lot of other stuff. Um, I think I read things like Gunsmoke, Bonanza, uh, Mash, those kind of things kind of popped in. Popped in and out. He was he did a lot more on the the small screen than the silver screen.
1: Yeah, he was such an asshole in Lauder. <laughs> Like, like, I just watched that episode. Like, he's in that episode, and I just watched it. And I was like, You want to fight him the whole time? Oh, yeah. What an
0: actor. Yeah. What an actor. Especially since he was so, like, as Dallas in Alien, he was half lovable. I, I know you find out a little bit more oh, yeah. that, that he knew uh, a bunch of shit about the corporation being the captain. Um, but before then, you, yeah, he was, you were almost rooting for him. Uh, and I think it's fair to assume that most people oh, yeah. would have thought that he was going to be the main character. Like he's the captain of the right. ship he's the the first guy that goes to try and find the the xenomorph you know jumping into the fucking air duck with a with a flamethrower essentially uh not a flamethrower fucking tracking device for it,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean the way he's set up and the way it's written um he's the Han solo type yeah, you know he's 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 the Han solo of alien, he's the captain of the ship. Everyone looks to him for the orders. Uh, He's, you know, the uh, kind of gruff white guy who's in charge in the 70s space movie. You expect him to make it out. You're looking at all these other characters thinking expendable, 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 expendable. Like we don't, you know, uh, but they kind of pull a switcheroo on us. I understand that sentence got a little jumbled, (laughs) but they they set us up for one thing and then give us another. Yeah. Um which is, you know, I think just I I thought that choice was brilliant because when he's going down uh searching for the xenomorph, you you don't even feel scared for him. No.
0: Cuz you're like obviously
1: he's coming back.
0: Yeah, he's going in, he's coming back with an alien head. Mhm. Yeah, like this isn't mm-hmm. even enough for discussion. Like there was there was no panic around it. No. Oh, like you, you had a little bit cuz you you know you're sucked into the atmosphere of the whole thing, but, uh, um, but yeah, no, it was, it was just really cool to then start having a look around at some of these cast members and notice them as things I'd never picked up on before. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like there's another one, uh, Sir Ian Holmes, uh, who plays Doctor Ash. Now, Doctor Ash had his own little uh, secret up in there, mm-hmm. um, but he was actually. Uh, the old Bilbo Baggins in the Hobbit movies that just came out. When I say just came out a couple of years ago. Yeah. Like,
1: uh, the, the, the Lord of the Rings ones too. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: uh, the yeah. fellowship and. In- no, 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 no. Uh, just, the no Hobbit, he was, he was the, uh, old, Bil- old, huh. old Bilbo. Okay. Yeah.
1: Did the original Bilbo die?
0: I'm not sure. I'm just trying not to say dildo ball Baggins, <laughs> but no, he was in, he's been such, he's been so no, much he- things.
1: He was uh, he was Bilbo in The Lord of the Rings. Oh, he was the OG one yeah. too, was he?
0: Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that credit. I
1: never put that together. Yeah, but yeah he- I just looked up Fellowship.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah, but no, he was also in The Fifth Element, Day After Tomorrow, Ratatouille, uh, From Hell, The Jack the Ripper Story, Chariots of Fire. Like, he's been in some massive, massive films. And he's knighted. Oh, so Sir Ian. Sir Ian, yeah. Mm. which was Mm -hmm. pretty Mm -hmm. insane. Uh, Speaking of a a little bit insane. No, we're going to talk about Ash first before we go into the next part. So, Dr. Ash, uh, we find out something that I was not fucking expecting. Um, No. All all of the little bits and pieces that I've seen about Alien over the years, and I've seen pictures and segments of every cast member doing something. Uh, Not one fucking person led on to the fact that he was a milk-filled robot. <laughs> not oh, man. one I don't person. Think any
1: of us were prepared for the milk.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I, I wasn't even prepared for him being a robot. Uh Like, no. I could tell, you, you get the sense early on um, that he may not be so forthcoming, and he might have been, like, the, the internal article of the group. Um... But I was not expecting to be a robot. Spoilers. <laughs> no, I wasn't either.
1: And you know, you what I loved about this movie was all these reveals happen naturally. Yeah, you find out everything that you know about the universe uh, organically. Yeah, yep. Like there's no uh, there the, there's no heavy handed exposition. It's just here's what happens. Yeah. And Um, it sounds
0: so smoothly as well.
1: mm -hmm. It's like they're
0: not forcing the information into you, thinking that, okay, the audience is fucking stupid and they need to know this before this part. It just, it comes out very, very free 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 flowing, free flowing. Thank God for prose production.
1: I, uh, but you have this uneasy, uh, tension and uneasy, uh, kind of you, you're sucked in by the uneasiness and, and you need answers and you keep getting answers mm-hmm. to questions you didn't have before. And none of them alleviate the tension. Yeah. None of them alleviate your anxiety. It only builds it to be honest, every, every new thing that you find.
0: Oh, and it's, it's amazing the way, like the way it's shot as well to be, to kind of fill up that anxiety. Uh, and this is the actual reason that I watched it for a second time. Um, every single shot that you see is so tight and closed in. It, it builds the anxiety, the, the entire thing. there is, It's a claustrophobic kind of feeling. Yeah. Everything yeah, is. Absolutely. I, I don't want to say tight or closed in anymore, but there's no other way to describe it. Everything is just really, you are always inside of this one little spot and i think that's where a lot of the uneasiness comes from and you don't even notice it yeah absolutely like and that was uh, such you, an amazing thing Yeah, you you feel like your back is against the the sh- wall
1: like in the shit. like yeah. you don't know what's going to come next and and it's almost like you can kind of feel the fingers kind of tickling your back a little bit
0: yeah like yeah it's and like the further on the mo- movie goes Everything just gets closer and tighter and more claustrophobic, and you feel like you're in these little spaces like it doesn't matter like and it's it's great because you know the the feeling behind it the whole thing is shot inside of a ship, and like, we know from like you know especially now and nowadays having uh seen inside of a lot of space shuttles they're not big areas, and no. especially after something like Star Wars where there was a lot of really wide open spaces in the ships to make it feel massive. Uh, like, even the corridors and Space Wars were massive. Like you could fit, what, 10 troopers side by side all shooting down the hallway and missing an never that- But, um, <laughs> but like, there was that massive grandeur and then Aliens is the complete opposite of
1: that. Yeah.
0: And that's what made it so intense because it's one of those films too where there is only... There's only seven, well, seven main characters, plus the mm-hmm. Xenomorph that you see absolute fuck all of. And everybody's favorite character in that movie is actually Jones the cat.
1: <laughs>
0: like Jones almost it becomes a plot point of such. Yeah, like he's a massive part of it. Like he's the entire reason uh, that Brett and Parker, uh, well Brett, sorry, um, kind of peels off from the group when they're looking for the Xenomorph. To go and get the cat. Right. Yeah, and he's the first yeah, he, one strung up. Yeah, he gets
1: he gets got because he's he's going after the kitty.
0: Yeah. And right at the end it's the same deal. Uh Sigourney Weaver's character goes back and to get Jones and the cat case and she's got to go back again for the cat case. Like this isn't even a one time thing. She like double backed to make sure Jones was was in there and had to go through somewhere that she knew the alien was. Or the cat.
1: Well, that's just, you know, they introduced it in the beginning. That's how the first guy gets got. So it's Chekhov's pussy. They have to use it later.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I like what you were saying about how how tight everything feels and how claustrophobic it feels, because even when it does open up and they're exploring like the caverns with with the alien eggs in there and like the remnants of a ship that somehow feels even more claustrophobic the yeah. big openness and the darkness feels super uh oppressive yep. like it's almost worse almost tighter because yeah. it's so open
0: and, and dark and and there's the thing it's it's so dark like uh coming from um like a, a miniature painters kind of standpoint like understanding color theory and that kind of thing uh, everything's very dark and desaturated. Like there's no there's no brightness, there's no color. Which it's mm-hmm. that kind of vibrance that brings a lot of uh, feeling into something. And just adjusting those colors made it so much more. I don't know, suspenseful. Because honestly, there wasn't a lot going on, and the score, which we'll talk about in a bit as well, the score itself I think was fantastic. Uh, in scenes like that, because there is no build-up, there is no warning. A lot of thriller movies, horror movies, and stuff that you see now, you get the music that builds up, builds up, builds up, stops, and then something happens. We don't have, we don't right. get that in Alien. It is just no, no it is there's just, no cues. Yeah, it just it runs through, and then like there's the action. It happens, um, which I thought was almost kind of made the movie for me. Like they were legitimate Ow. shocks, to be honest. Like mm. Without that warning and setting up that tension, it ended up being more tension. Because what's mm. scarier than music playing in the background? Dead silence.
1: <laughs> there's that. Uh, there's that dead silence uh, when they're looking for the face hugger again. Oh, yeah, and then that panel mm-hmm. drops. And I think that's the only jump scare that got me because
0: yeah. it just drops clatters. And I was like, what the hell? Like- <laughs> <laughs> but see, it's for me, it was like that almost, especially through the third act where there was no tension, music, tension building with the music. It was literally just what's happening in the scene. Like you'd hear mm-hmm. the footsteps running down you'd hear the creaking and the hissing of the <laughs> ship. Um, but there was still no warning. It was, there was nothing to prepare you for the next thing coming. And I think that worked out so much better than having a build-up to a cue. Yeah, I, I can absolutely see that. Fucking milk robot still gets me. That um, <laughs> I keep coming back to that point in my head. And as as far as the actual, as the whole movie goes and everything that unravels, that's probably the part that kind of got me the most is I was not expecting that. Like, it's a movie about an alien, so you expect people to be, get got by aliens you expect to see an alien right you expect that kind of thing milk robot was not on my list um (laughs) to kind of check off maybe like that
1: right there's so when when we're going into uh the whole thing with dr ash and you know you get the sense that you know he knows something that we don't and the rest of the crew doesn't and we sense that there might be some other uh motivations here, especially from the corporation. Because um, he's, given, he's given Ripley that that pushback. Yeah. Uh, and you know, then he's you know saying, oh we'll defer to the captain and all that. Uh and he's ignoring her orders even though she's you know highest ranking on the ship and yeah. all that. Uh you get the sense that he might just be a dick. Yeah. Uh, and that's what and, you think. Yeah. But, yeah and so the fact that not only was he having different motivations but like he didn't care about them at all uh and like he was gonna burn through the wall if he had to uh just to get that specimen back is is is, it's just nuts and part of part of that storytelling device uh that we were talking about where it kind of drip feeds you information without exposition just lets you experience that we don't know that androids exist in this universe. Yeah. We've not been told that at all. So, this is kind of just a blind surprise of... of By the way, this exists. By the way, it's terrifying.
0: Yeah. By the way,
1: <laughs> it hates your heroes.
0: Yeah, And uh, by the way, it's owned and run
1: by a corporation. Right. Right. And you gotta wonder how much they were paying people um, yeah. where... An android was the cheaper solution.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, that too, and I think the other thing is they—I do, I don't think it was more of a, a cheaper solution, like in Universe, um, because the rest of the crew didn't know that he was an android. He was put into the cryo sleep as well. It was a complete surprise um, when Parker knocked right. his head off, and it just happened to be a robot.
1: But there was that line um, sleeper. Where I forget who said it, but someone said oh if they won't, if they really wanted to save money they would, would have just sent a crew of androids, yeah, yeah, no, that too that... So it it makes you wonder how how little Which side is or it how, yeah how like how is how is an an entire person that you have to create cheaper than just paying somebody, yeah. you know, and that kind of uh you know a big a big fear in the seventies uh was that automation was going to take jobs and all that, yeah. and that if you did make these computers because the computers were very scary at the time, yeah, uh, as if they're not now, uh, <laughs> that you know you were going to lose jobs because they were going to the the computers and the machines were going to be cheaper and faster and more accurate than humans, uh, mm-hmm. and kind of the embodiment of that uh, external fear that influences the movie is the personification yeah. of Dr. Ash. Uh, this, this, uh, inorganic manufactured, unfeeling, nefarious character. Oh yeah. Uh, that, that just, uh, as soon as, as soon as, you know, there's pushback against him, he becomes violent and there's nothing that one person one-on-one can do about it.
0: Yeah. And I think to, to add into that, like especially with uh, with the ship computer mother, and you know mm. it's only the captains or the high ranking officers that get access to it, and they're always going back and forward to check what's the protocol, what do we do now, and it's it's just one of those it's one of those feelings that there isn't somebody on the other side; it's a computer. Uh, this right. is like it is telling you what's going to happen and what to do, you know. And a lot of the fact the computer didn't have answers. And I think mother turned into a big thing because Ellen Ripley, um, especially after Dallas got got, um, that was, that was her first instinct as well. So, you know, we've got to talk to mother. I've got to go to mother. I've got to find out, you know, ask her what, what do we do? What's protocol? How do we get out of this? What do we need to happen? Uh, which is, you know, See so, yeah, a big scene where Ash comes into that as well. Yeah. But it is, you know, a, a, it's a big external fear of computer world, essentially. Yeah. And we're experiencing
1: that currently, yeah. With the threats of AI, especially in Creative Works. Uh so it just goes back to what you're saying. That this, this movie does not feel dated. No, no, it uh, doesn't. as far as concepts and performances and look wise. Some things feel technologically End up feeling a little dated, but we'll we'll get to that when we're talking <laughs> about the end.
0: <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's have a little bit of a more discussion about uh, about our cast members in the movie just mm. to break it up a bit. Um, so recently on on CJ's uh, Twitch, uh, he interviewed a gentleman by the name of Tab Murphy. To do that. It did do that. Now Tab uh is responsible for many, many nostalgic moments uh of our childhoods. Uh Tarzan, uh Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh Brother Bear well. Um uh, but he started off with something called Gorillas in the Mist, which Sigourney Weaver was in. Yes. Yeah. It's uh I I love that little tie back to the Yeah,
1: yeah. And you know what's funny, Uh, Tab wrote all those movies. He wrote Gorillas in the Mist, he wrote those uh, four Disney movies, you know, Tarzan, Hunchback, Atlantis, Brother Bear, Uh, wrote a couple of Batman stuff. And we and um, then he wrote his own, directed his own movie, Last of the Dogmen. And we watched a bunch of his movies in my discord before I, you know, had the interview with him. Uh, I did not watch Gorillas in the Mist. (laughs) So the the one movie of his that ties it it's over nice, here, yeah. uh, I I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah. but, sorry, Tab. I'm sorry, Tab. I'll, I'll get to it. I promise.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I I thought that was a a really cool little tie in, um, especially to in the first episode. Makes it feel legit. That's what we in the industry call a callback. <laughs> yeah, but um. <laughs> As as far as the rest of the cast go, we had uh, Veronica Cartwright playing Lambert, um, mm. who, in universe, I don't know how she got the job. Like she was <laughs> she was a wreck. Everything yeah. that happened, she was a wreck. She just could not could not compute. Like she just shut down every single time something went slightly off key,
1: which I think is funny uh, when we. You know, just jump back to what we were talking about before. Ripley was written as a man, yeah, and then was switched later. So this is the only character that was written to it be is a
0: female yeah a
1: woman. It was the only character that was supposed to be a woman from the start, and they just made her absolutely incompetent and hysterical,
0: yeah, especially for and that kind of puts a little bit of the feels bad. Uh, to think about because this movie is championed uh for being so oh, yeah. early in the piece and having a female lead. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so to kind of it, draw back is, and think that way.
1: Everybody, every, every dude, bro, film critic guy who's like, Oh, I'm not sexist. I like these characters. <laughs> Ellen Ripley's at the top oh, there. Yeah. And it's and they're like, "Oh, I love alien which is which is such a feminist movie, and don't get me wrong, it is in yeah. the fact that we get to see Ripley do these cool things, the and supporting project, gets yeah. such a good uh you know protagonist and gives such a good performance in that way, but it's also an example of reductive uh stereotypes, yeah. for women in film, in fact, as soon as Ripley gets changed." into a woman uh they they put in a scene where she strips down to her underwear. Yep. So like it still has the effects of of um seventies misogyny oh, in yeah. there. Yeah. It's it's getting better, but it's there. It's still there. Yeah.
0: And that's that's probably the closest this movie kind of comes to uh like we were talking about before where, you know, it's Something that wouldn't fly now, but uh, you know we have to remember it was 1979 when it was released. Mm-hmm. So you know, shot in years previous and written in even years before that. That's as close as it. Yeah, comes. it was written in
1: '74.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. he said it was the first the first draft that he did. What it
1: was something like Dark Star or something?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. When they were still looking for a uh, still looking for a name, and Dark Star still mm-hmm. didn't quite hit. It doesn't. It doesn't not. I No. That's sim- that simple one-word alien kind of it says all it needs to. Yeah.
1: But it really um, does.
0: Yeah. But uh no, I thought it was a, thought it was actually a sick movie. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, I I very much enjoyed this overall uh getting into this last part of the movie, you know. So throughout the movie the the aliens picking off these crew members after they picked it up after it hatches out of John Hurt. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, John Hurt, You know, when I saw he was in this, I thought he was going to be around longer. You know, because John Hurt feels like that caliber of actor that's just John motherfucking Hurt, yeah. Right. But right now he's just John Hurt, because I think <laughs> this was one of his yep. first performances, not, maybe not first performances, but first big performances. Still
0: early on in his uh, career,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so after the aliens systematically just picking people off we get into the action yes uh, and i think you and i might disagree a little bit here uh but this is where i start hitting a little bit of speed bumps with the movie okay uh because I, I think tonally and and uh cinematically it had such a beautiful tension slowly peeling back layers of intrigue and, and just setting the ambience up so wonderfully that to go all out action kind of was a little, little startling, not startling, but like a little jarring. That's the word I was looking for jarring, um, which leaves the door open for I think some very convenient, uh, happenings. Yes. Where all of a sudden our very resourceful and smart lady, like we talked about before, is now all of a sudden very uh, has a surplus of what I would call plot armor. Yes. Uh, Which is unfortunate because I think you could have very much wrote it in a way that just relies on her smarts and cat and mouse. like they kind of did it. They kind of did it. Um, and then we find out, you know, that as she's on just the tugboat, she blew up the big ship mm-hmm. that the aliens snuck on, bo- on board there. Which, you know, how it got around and in there and able to hide when she was just running directly in
0: its path. Yeah.
1: L- little convenient.
0: There's a few little holes also- in that part as well. Uh, right. Like the, the whole reason that she sends the other two is to collect canisters and whatever they can find for mm-hmm. the getaway ship. And she says, like, specifically, we will need this. So she sends them to get yeah. as much as they can. And then she hops into the ship with fucking nothing but the cat. <laughs> it's like, how how much did you need that? Like, I don't know if that and was... And she goes some- back to the cat twice. Exactly. Like, I, I don't know if this was an oversight and a whole... Kind of uh, in the writing a little bit, or if it was mm. supposed to show the desperation of her having to get out. Right, it could go either way, but it still didn't sit right, thing. Because then I wanted to know, yeah. like the the intricacies of the ship and spaceflight. Like, do they actually need it? Because like they're going to die in five minutes without it. Like, does this thing not move without it? Or mm. was it something well, that they need uh... for a longer flight? Or because there were so many of them, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I I ran into that a little bit. And then, you know, because you have to suspend disbelief with any movie. You do. I I chalked it up to maybe they were going back for provisions since there's going to be three grown adults, you know, going through space for this long. Maybe they just needed more provisions. She can leave without it because what was on there will get her through the next couple months. There's emergency Uh,
0: rations for like one.
1: yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But that, that's, again, something that, while this movie has done so well of giving us information naturally, they don't give us that information Yeah. With this particular thing, which it wouldn't be a big deal if it wasn't a, what those two went off to find. Exactly. And the
0: reason they die. Yeah, it, it's like, it is literally the part in the story that had to happen to have her as this sole survivor. Right. Like, and so, it for me, it kind of makes it, it's a... Kind of a big deal there, right? Like because they literally killed off two characters in that one instance straight away is one happening, mm-hmm. and that part wasn't explained. I think, I think I'm being a little bit nitpicky about it, but it's not wrapped up in a nice little bow for me, and it feels weird.
1: <laughs> no, I think I think it's important to talk about, you know. uh, the issues we have, even with movies yeah. we like, you can criticize. You can have critiques of movies that you very much enjoyed. Uh, in fact, I talked about one of my critiques with with our good our friend Witty, uh, who loves this movie, and she was like, "Well, you can't hold this particular thing, which we will talk about, against <laughs> it." And I was like, "Listen, if I would hold it against it for Star Wars, I have to hold it against yes. it for this. I have to keep this standard." And the standard is the one that the, the movie sets up for itself. It's It's been giving us this standard. Ripley is smart. Ripley is resourceful. Ripley doesn't do dumb things. And yeah. that's why Ripley is surviving. Everyone else has been doing dumb things and dying. And then Ripley makes a smart decision to send these two people out to get these things that they need. They die. Ripley immediately makes dumb decision to go back for Cat. Yeah. Uh, which Floss. I was happy about because I love Jonesy. But goes back for cat twice. Somehow manages to run away where everybody else couldn't run away. Yeah. Uh, Everybody else got nabbed. She gets away. But not only does she get away, the alien goes around her somehow unseen and gets into um, where she's leaving. Decides to hide, which the alien hasn't done before. No. Uh, Well, the alien's hid, but has not, like you know, stayed in one place and waited for something to happen. It hasn't ambushed um, anything. Right. And then I don't know if I missed something, but she discovers the alien.
0: Mm. And then the alien doesn't attack her. It's just kind of it's laying down in between the pipes and as like that whole big thing is she jumps because it puts its arms out. Yeah. That's that's that. And then it knows that she's in there. It can say it would have seen her the entire time. Right. And then she hides in the closet, essentially. Well why? Why doesn't it attack her then? Yeah. And it would have seen to go into the closet because it was as far as the shots were set up, as far as I could tell, it was like a straight line. Like she direct she, line of sight. She ran backwards and just ended up in the yeah. closet. Like that was that was it. Right. How and
1: then has enough time to put on a full spacesuit. set up this plan, and only then does the thing attack, and when it does, she hits the button, jettisons it out. Yeah. Uh, But the alien's been there the whole time while she strips down, has a whatever, pets the cat a little bit. She got her back turned to it the whole time. Or not the whole time, a lot of the time. Yeah. And then she just accidentally finds it. It makes some noises, so obviously knows it's She's there, lays down, waits for her to do her thing Hmm. and then wait, basically waits for her to kill it. Yeah. Uh, And for such a for such a smart movie uh, and a a methodical, well-written movie, this feels a bit rushed and, and poorly thought out.
0: Yeah, I see, I had a little bit of problems with with the ending as well. Not so much as how it ended, but the few events that led to it. Um, Mm -hmm. Throwing it out to the vacuum of space, brilliant, and that's probably what was going to have to happen. They set up pretty early that uh, its acid blood kind of, you know, it went through floors and floors of metal. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, you had to come up with a way how you're going to kill it or get rid of it without essentially hacking it up. That part was fine. Um, Yeah. It was, that whole scene, it felt off to me. I think it would have been a little bit better if there was some kind of crawl space uh, they could come up out of. Like, there would have to be, obviously, like, they had the the big open cockpit uh, where the deck was. There was some mechanical bits and pieces, but there would still have to be separate crawl spaces for machinery and and engines, that kind of thing. I think it would have been smarter to have it come out of there instead of hidden in the side of the main part of the ship where she was. Not, don't even have to get the complicated uh,
1: like that either. They had the perfect setup. Ripley's running away from the alien. Have her get there in the nick of time, close the door. Alien's trying to break through the glass. She launches, blows the ship up.
0: Yeah, but then we don't get that secondary tail scare of she's away safe. But the aliens there too.
1: Right. But that's what I'm saying. Like I don't think you need it. I, I enjoyed
0: I enjoyed the secondary part of it. Uh, like I love that feeling of because that's actually the first time you they have it in the movie, like we we're talking about before, how everything's very right. uh shot very closely. This is a fine, fine time it's uh it draws back. Because you get your full body mm. shots of her getting, you know, changed and painting the cats and sitting back in the chair. So everything kind of opens back up for that feeling of relief. And then, yeah, bam, here's the xenomorphic. Right. Which, that, that secondary part, I, I really liked that. Uh, I just mm. think it was a, a bit naff of how it came to be. Bit what? It was a bit naff of how it came to be. Bit, bit shit. What's naff? Bit shit. Okay. all right (laughs) that's what happens when
1: you have an american and australian do a podcast again this
0: this is also (laughs) going to be the the fantastic part of the the podcast
1: (laughs) (laughs) uh but you you brought up the full body shot of the alien um and that was my critique that i expressed to our friend whittle goblin uh and uh Basically, while we were watching it, um, one of our, another, another streamer friend of ours, Danae, uh, she said, oh, imagine watching this on a VHS tape. Mm. And in my head, I went, hmm, I kind of wish that I did. Because... I want to say it's uh, when When, well, no, uh, it's... Part of filmmaking, pre-CG everything, was you kind of had to use camera tricks. Yeah and and you kind of be, had to be like well this won't show up on this yeah, yeah you know uh so you get the big reveal the full body shot of the xenomorph and all of a sudden i'm looking at him like that's a guy in a suit yeah like that is a that is a human man with a helmet <laughs> and I uh, i just think on vhs it wouldn't have been as clear you know, uh and I think it was made for a time where it wasn't supposed to be seen in, you know, four K HD. Yeah. yeah. Um uh, so, you know, it's she was saying you could you can't hold that against it. And I'm and I'm like I, gotta, I have to I a little done. bit because this is how I ingested the movie uh for the first time and it took me out of the experience a little bit. Like okay. I have to I have to
0: mention it. It's it funny, has to count. It's funny you do mention though because my, I had the same feeling, but a little bit earlier on in the movie. It wasn't for the full body mm. shot. It was when Dallas was in uh, the crawl space, the, the air ducts and you turn mm-hmm. around and you have that jump of the alien and it's just, it's got this open hand kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's going in for a hug. Yeah. That was the first part. I was like, that's a guy in a suit. That's uh yeah, that feels weird. Like that doesn't feel like scary alien kind of thing to me. Like don't get me wrong, we we got that we got that scare and that was fine, but that's the part that hit me It's like, oh, practical effects. Yeah. Which which like, is I'm fine. Like at- we're in the time of it. Like nineteen seventy nine. C G was very far. Very far from what we have now. Right. Like- yeah, we're not
1: getting C G any anytime soon. No. Uh but when you have a uh, when when you have even in such a short amount of time uh aliens yep. and how good the xenomorph looks there it's like i wish it was just here as well yeah uh, cuz if you look at the suit or or just like the mock up uh alien to aliens it's kind of night
0: and day oh it's a massive um, massive thing yeah Instead of that they they spent a lot um, of the budget for the first movie uh, on the set um, so with the set originally because it's basically broken into three main three main pieces and they wanted as realistic as possible like not only for the movie uh, in directions that they'd have to go uh, but also for the mm-hmm. cast themselves a lot of the cast members said. When you're in there filming for like eight to ten hours, it feels like you're in a spaceship. Like they didn't, yeah, they didn't go outside. They didn't break sets. Uh, camera crews had a lot of issue getting in there, getting the shot because there was nowhere else to. You couldn't stand any further back. You couldn't get to where you needed to get. Dude. Um, and the original blueprint of um, what they wanted was they wanted to actually build the spaceship. Not like the externals and stuff, but they, three sections, they wanted on top of each other, they wanted three stories to build uh, on the soundstage. They wanted to actually have... Why undertaking? Oh, it would have been massive. Mm-hmm. Like, they already took up um, the entire soundstage, uh, plus they had to knock down walls into a joining soundstage to fit everything. Um, but could you imagine if they built it in three stories? at uh, the... Um. And that's, that's what they wanted to do. And they wanted to actually have those shots of, and not be cut, um, of, you know, if they have to climb up into the next section, they wanted the camera just to be able to follow all the way up without that, uh, mm-hmm. that black, that black bar in the middle to kind of signify that's where they had to cut it. Um, almost wanted to do like a, an Alfred's Hitchcock kind of thing where it right. just continues until he cuts it off. And that's where he wants you to cut it. Um which Hitchcock was so well known for. He was, he was doing everything for everybody when he was filming. Um,
1: It reminds me of the, uh, the naked gun gag. Uh, (laughs) You've seen the naked gun. Yeah. 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 Where like they're, they're panning uh, going from one room to the next and like the actors go through a door and then Leslie Nielsen goes around the set barrier. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't thought about naked gun in years. (laughs) Yeah, best not to with the uh with his co-star but
0: <laughs> currently yeah yeah <laughs> oh man it, it oh, would man. have been such an amazing thing and they actually built um so what they did was they they also built a a model like a scale model of the ship um and its internals to keep track of uh where people had to go and what was where so it actually looked uh, continuous. Yeah. So, um, like, you know, if in one scene they had somebody going down the corridor and turning right and it brings them into, uh, I don't know, where Mother is, for example. Um, but in the second scene, if they go down the corridor and turn left and they're in Mother, that doesn't feel right. They The, the continuity um, mm. of placement was above and beyond, as far as I'm concerned. Like, no, very few people would pick that up while watching the movie right. that they've, you know, they've walked into the same room, but from, you know, kind of thing. But yeah, the, the forethought that they had, even just with the set and that kind of thing was amazing.
1: I thought it was just really yeah, cool. I, absolutely agreed. I, I absolutely agreed. And like, um, you know, we're talking about star Wars a lot yeah. because, you know, 70s sci-fi very much, uh, how they did things was very much inspired by yes. that. Yeah. Uh, but, like the the ships coming in and landing and like all, all the little pieces going through and the, the quality of the miniatures yes. uh and the models and you know i was like a kid in the candy store watching this stuff because that's that's some of my favorite parts about star wars which is like my favorite thing ever uh is the behind the scenes stuff and i'm uh, looking at it and i can kind of dissect how it was done yeah but it doesn't look dissectable yeah. uh that's that's part of why like you know uh i think the the alien suit falls so flat for me is because everything else
0: it was so immaculate.
1: is yeah. yeah everything else and then kind of why the third act falls a little bit for me because this whole movie has been methodical and tension building and and brilliant and not showing you much of the alien which i think was super smart like uh I think less would have been more. I think yeah. this movie could have gone without a full body shot of the alien and been much more effective.
0: Especially um, when that full body shot, like when we first see it, was the alien laying down, like mm-hmm. between the things in the little uh in the escape ship. That felt yeah. weird. Like and especially with the smoke and the lights that was going on, it looked like he was in a tanning bed. Yes. And that that took me out and of that, that scene glow. a little bit. Yeah
1: the glove like looks like a glove that you can't use the individual fingers on. And like, like, like I was saying when, when you can't like the, the, the set miniatures and the, and the models were so undissectable. Like they just looked like what they were. Um, so the untrained eye isn't going to see anything but a starship. And then you have, uh, the alien costume that looks like fabric with plastic on it yeah. Uh, and you're showing close-ups of that where it's like that's a human shoulder human arm human leg like it just like i I would have done more of a jaws approach it, if it pulled were you out of
0: the immersion yeah
1: yeah yeah which the immersion was done so brilliantly that like let me uh let me actually just read what i wrote uh when i was talking about when i was doing my vibe score uh because I don't think we've said it yet, but we we score on five categories: writing, performance, cinematography, score being music, yep. and vibe. Uh, average those out, and that's our personal scores. When I was talking about vibe, I gave vibe at ninety-two. Spoiler, uh, <laughs> and my uh, <laughs> I. Um, I put the sum of all aliens parts create a fantastic experience that exudes a wonderful tension and anxiety that when relieved feels incredibly satisfying while you're in Ridley Scott's world, you're filled with unease, but you never want it to end. Yes. So that whole, you know, I would say seven eighths of the movie with that brilliantly done and, and just tasty tension, uh, just gets like let out like a balloon a little bit. Uh, and the uh, when I when I was talking about the anxiety um, being relieved, I was talking about when she's on the ship and you see the other ship blow up and like yeah. she breathes and then you can breathe and you're like, holy! God, I've been clenching my ass for like an <laughs> hour and a half. <laughs> see, that, that's
0: also the shot where they pull back from her. Like, there's there's yeah. a whole lot going on that actually gives you that that feeling of, and I thought that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: it's there was very few hiccups in the cinematography yeah. um, or how it was shot. The the photography, like like that that example where it pulls back and it's not as on on the subject. Yeah. is absolutely brilliant. But everything else, you know, like there was there was one one part that kind of took me out a little bit. Um, and it was when they were looking for the facehugger, and it's not even really because of Alien itself, but because of Hollywood tropes. Yeah. Uh, when they walk in, we're at a low camera angle, looking up. Yes. Yep. And shaky cam is happening,
0: which gives us and- a lot of things. Like it's especially so that that whole angle of down to up. Uh, when you're looking at monuments, is to signify grandeur. But when you're mm-hmm. walking through it as almost first person, that gives everything yeah. else except for you authority.
1: And right,
0: that's and Instantly, that first shot it sucks you out of. I have no control over what's happening here
1: and and not only that, but like it also signifies this is the point of view of the thing that they're searching for, yes, yeah, so i uh, i'm I got pulled out a little bit because I'm like, oh wait, are we at the face huggers point of view? <laughs> and then it sits you there, and the camera's shaking, which also usually yeah. signifies movement, movement yeah. of the point of view because you're taking you know. This you you're taking the place of this creature yeah. or of this subject. Um and then it wasn't. It you know, then you have the yeah. clang of the face hugger in the corner, and uh that's when the scene changes, but it makes you sit there for a bit, and you know, um whatever the motive for that was, for that shot was, you're not supposed to think about the motive. And no. all of a sudden I was thinking about it, so it pulled me out. Yeah. So I you know. There was a little hiccup, um, maybe a nitpicky one, uh, in you know, a, a, a sum of brilliance, yeah. but you know, one that I thought deserved to be talked about.
0: Yeah. Like if it was done on purpose, it could have been like a bait and switch kind of idea where it's like, if, mm-hmm. they, if you think, you know, you're the, you're from the perspective of the face hugger kind of running down here and then you hear the clang in the distance, that's where it is. Uh yeah. It could be one of those uh one of those jarring moments, but we we just don't know. <laughs> right. We don't know what and, that was supposed to be. If it was supposed to be for a shot to from that direction, but then the cuts just kind of made it a little janky. Um but yeah, no, I, I get what you mean by that. It it kind of It also just limits. could have been
1: seventies shaky cam because steady cam wasn't around or easily yeah. accessible yet, especially when they're working in tight sets. Which oh, yeah. it probably is, or it could have been on purpose because Ridley Scott's a very on purpose guy. Yep. But the problem is we're asking the question, which means we noticed it. Uh, yeah. And by we, I mean me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, so I noticed it, so it pulled me out a little bit, made me ask the question. Yeah. And. Uh, a little bit broke the immersion, but when you're talking a full scale, when you're talking a sci-fi movie of the scale that came out in 1979, yes. the fact that immersion was broken so little, yeah, uh, you know, you can't really fault the movie for that. You know, and, it's, it's
0: yeah. And look, when, just before we get into scoring, touching on mm-hmm. that a little bit with uh, breaking the immersion, but also when it came out, We also, we have to assume, because audiences, we know audiences have gotten a little bit smarter uh, in the last Mm -hmm. four years. Uh, There's a lot of cinema. There is a lot of uh, open source free access to how to become a cinematographer, what kind of shots to do. Um, Obviously, things like YouTube as well um, have helped a lot of us kind of grow in that sense for even videos that aren't supposed to be uh, shot professionally like this but to have that same kind of feeling audience are very smart I think we have to kind of give it half a little bit of slack honestly because mm-hmm. we're watching this 44 years later like after release would that have been something that we noticed back then or is are we more products of the film and the knowledge that we have access to now right Right. Because uh, even
1: behind the scenes stuff wasn't, yeah. you know, a huge thing. There was no way to see behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. Uh, nobody did documentaries about, you know, like this, how this was made. Like that wasn't really an industry. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know, I, unfortunately, because, it's, you know, yeah. like this happens with every generation. Like uh, my grandmother was scared as hell from Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Yeah, and then you know i watch it i'm like that bird's not even there that is a that's drawn on the film <laughs> and unfortunately you know like there's different levels like like the blob that came out and i think yeah. in 53 yep. yeah 52 53 somewhere around there we wouldn't find that scary at all today you no. know but like, like it was Hats. shocking yeah. yeah yeah it was shocking to people back then yeah uh but on the flip side of that, uh, Exorcist came out
0: in 1973.
1: Yeah. Exorcist is Exorcist.
0: terrifying. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. terrifying. But, <laughs> and it's one of those things, like, I know, we, I know we have the argument a lot, so not even an argument, the discussion of, you know, mm-hmm. are, are we just smarter now? Um, but that change in generation and that kind of thing, like, in the reverse, think, like, if we took Saw, pre Jernbull, and bought that mm-hmm. out in 1979. Audiences wouldn't have been prepared for that. No, like that—that no. that like, to be fair, like in even in some parts, you know, Saw was still pretty, pretty overwhelming uh, in a few bits and pieces. <laughs> even after one seeing it, knowing it, all that kind of thing. But, yeah, I, I think a lot has to be said for the, the time period that it was released in as well. Uh, not even, like, the, right. the limits of technology and effects and that kind of thing, but what could they get away with because nobody was asking those questions yet? Yeah. Yeah, like extending, like, and this is a practice that's still used, um, and an example in Alien, uh, when Brett and Parker are um, uh, actually climbing up, um, climbing up or climbing down, one of the two, go and check on all the damage in the engine rooms. Uh, The backdrop behind them is a length of corridor that they made look longer by putting a mirror at the end. Now Mm -hmm. that mirror wasn't tilted like they would do today. They didn't play with the angles. It was literally just put at the end to be somewhat of an infinity mirror. So in the background you can see them at the end of the corridor getting up into Mm -hmm. the thing as well. Um but that could have, and that could have just been the time, that could have been what they were shooting on. We have, like, if we watched it on VHS where things weren't as clear, we probably wouldn't have seen them in the background.
1: Um, right. If I had seen this time. on VHS, yeah.
0: I probably
1: would have scored some things a bit higher. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I wouldn't have noticed it.
0: Exactly, yeah. And I think a lot of that has to be said for any movie uh, this kind of period, and before, if we That, yeah, they could get away with a lot of stuff that we just can't do now.
1: Right, right. But a lot of the stuff, you know... Like, one of the great things about Alien is how tangible it feels. Oh, yeah. Because, like we were saying, there's no CG. CG doesn't exist right now. Whereas now, instead of... um, You know, a brilliant example of how to use CG is Jurassic Park. Yes, where orcs in tandem in with tangible, yep. practical effects. A great modern example is Dungeons and Dragons, uh, yeah. the yep. the the new Dungeons yep. and Dragons movie, where like there's a bunch of a bunch of props, uh, animatronic props, uh, like that giant fish, whatever that you know he yeah, walks yeah. past and just taps, and it's like that's a huge prop to make for that little moment, but it makes it feel real. Yeah. but then when you know that stops they bring in the cgi or they add the cgi on a cj CGI, cgi on later on or on top of the practical effects you know it, it gives it a, a much more fleshed out and yeah. tactile feel um where this this definitely feels more tactile than a lot of yeah a lot of uh movies now okay. which i don't think um if you did the CG, I don't think the atmosphere uh, would hit like it does now. I don't think it would have the same kind of tension. Or we would be talking about how great the cinematography is uh,
0: yeah. if, and if it was like that. I think that's something that's now, not so much that it's lost to time, but lost during the process of, of making. Uh, the amount of stuff that can be relied on, the like CGI 4, uh, and it, it does. That's just how it's done um a lot of shots so oh we missed this part it's fine cg right but you didn't have the option back then if it wasn't on the film it's not on the film
1: i don't know you think uh you think that gets us to our our scoring portion
0: i think that gets us to our scoring portion so let's uh let's start with uh writing cj what'd you give mm. aliens for writing
1: well, like we talked about how, how well the story is told uh, and how it naturally gives us information instead of using a bunch of uh, exposition and kind of force feeding the plot. Uh, I think, you know, that just speaks to the talent of uh, Ridley Scott and reminded me of the, the writer's name uh, Dan. Uh, Dan. Oh, s- oh, oh boy. Oh, boy. But I did have those, you know. Oh, Not quite. JSX yep. Machina moments, but close to it. Yep. Uh, so overall, for writing, uh, I gave writing an eighty-eight. Ooh. Out of a
0: hundred. Yeah, no, that's solid. I uh, I went, I went a little bit lower, but not much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually hit it with an eighty, uh, just mm-hmm. because the script in a few areas felt a little. A little in, little out kind of for me. Um, mm-hmm. I tried to put that off as period seventies. Yeah, <laughs> um, but like for the most part, I think uh, yeah, I think the whole thing was fairly fairly timeless. Uh, there was just a few little things. So I think eighty is still pretty fair. It's still high enough. I'd be happy with yeah. eighty. Yeah.
1: I mean these these scores are subjective on what oh, yeah. our opinion
0: is as which as is why we're doing it we separately. To make yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But look, right. the difference between okay. eighty and eighty-eight. I think that's still that's some pretty decent praise there.
1: Yeah, I think I think either way, you know, we could have a discussion, argue your score up, argue my score down. Like yeah. you know, it's subjective and to what we decided. We'd probably end up in the middle,
0: or we'd end up swapping scores. Yeah, <laughs> 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 but no, I'm I'm cool with that
1: for. Uh, ooh, I'm I'm cool with that for writing. Yep. Uh, now, like category of performance I um,
0: steal that thunder.
1: Yeah. <laughs> From down under. Uh, oh, I. <laughs> uh, I. The performances were probably one of my favorite parts about this movie uh, or aspects of this movie. Every single character feels layered, yes. multifaceted and and gives a a. Um, Almost a tantalizing performance. Every actor, like in this, put put their whole into it. Yeah. Um, and for the 70s, um, the cusp of the uh, late 70s, early 80s, there's not a lot of that period of acting. No, it uh, is not. Because, in, in, in you know, again, to make the Star Wars compar- comparison, there's 70s acting in Star Wars, a lot of it. Oh, yeah. There is none in Alien. Uh this feels incredibly modern. Uh so for the time this was this was you know groundbreaking. This these would have been groundbreaking performances. Uh and to the point where like you never know for a long time, you don't know who to trust, who the good guy, who the bad guy is. You can make cases for most of them besides Ripley. Uh and you don't find out until the story wants you to find out, and the actors play that line brilliantly i give performance a 91
0: oh jot that down that's sad. i actually i also gave it a 91 uh did you really yeah (laughs) because i i felt i felt (laughs) i felt the exact same way um the few things that took it away from me for me was uh was lambert so veronica cartwright's character um Mm -hmm. which is actually also what i i took some out of writing um because she was a very fall apart. I think some of it was just a little bit over the top for me. Um, Mm -hmm. But again, the the difference, like you were saying, between Star Wars 70s acting and this is there was a lot of realism. They felt like real people. Mm -hmm. Where Star Wars, there's a lot of puff chests walking out, kind of uh, like I am the man kind of thing. Um, there's no bravado there's in this. None Everybody's none scared shitless, and yeah. nobody wants to do this. And as but it's portrayed just like uh, how individual people would actually react, to something like that. So, mm-hmm. like as much as I've taken a little bit off Veronica Cartwright, sorry, Veronica, if you ever hear this, it's a little over the top for me. Just a, like my touch into that melo, melodrama. Um, but I, yeah, in I her defense, that that's all they gave real, her. Yeah. Which is why they, they lost it on writing as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like if we find out that Ridley Scott, you know, was telling her, you know, take it up a notch, go like stage level kind of uh mm-hmm. with it, then yeah, I'll give her four points and I'll take it off directing or something. But um <laughs> <laughs> a category we don't
1: use. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you- <laughs> It's gonna have, it's gonna have to come out of category. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now you're in the minus. <laughs> oh, but man. uh yeah, no, I I thought 91 too. I thought the I thought the performances were fantastic. Um the only thing was yeah, Lambert just kind of falling apart hysterically in a lot of places. Uh felt a bit weird. And uh some of the, the alien jobs. Not that there was a lot, uh, but it's mostly that last scene um that kind of got me. Um, yeah, I again that would have been a, a director's kind of thing to have him laying down in the <laughs> tanning bed, um, <laughs> but that that felt weird. Um, and then the the whole Dallas in the airway thing, where he puts his hands out for a cuddle, that felt weird. All right, all right. That Number brings three. us to cinematography.
1: Cinematography is is a tough category, uh, just because the the. The actual word cinematography kind of means just all of movie making. But when you talk about cinematography, uh, like we're talking about it, it's normally normally what people are talking about is what you see in the camera. So basically how the photography was directed. Uh, So in our cinematography scores, it's basically how it was shot, the sets and the costuming. So what you see. Uh, So we've talked at length about how fantastic these sets are. how uh how well this this movie was shot um uh and one thing that i think uh we didn't touch on but when when you uh kind of a trick to look for good camera directing is anytime the camera swings like especially in action scenes when it swings and brings you here the next or like to brings your focus to the top right the next shot so when it switches uh the action should be happening in the top right yeah because the sway of the camera is supposed to direct your eye to what you're supposed to be looking at uh this movie does that brilliantly oh yeah Uh, and we're not talking action as in just fighting but like if if the camera pans and then to one spot and then the next shot somebody's doing something mundane that's still the action that's still where the camera's going uh so for the camera work, the set design, which was absolutely gorgeous, just the the sense of atmosphere that the cinematography brings out, um, you know, it, I knew it was going to be high score. Yeah. Uh, but then when we ta- when we bring set design and props into it, my issues with, with some of the things show through in this category. So I'm talking the... The the suit, the alien suit, how it pales compared to like the rest of the stuff. And then that shaky cam moment that we're talking about, which was kind of a confusing POV. So for cinematography enveloping all that, uh, I gave it an eighty nine.
0: Ooh, solid.
1: I basically five points ish for each of my issues. Yep.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's fair. Um I actually gave it a ninety four. Uh Ooh, I okay. I I loved everything that they did with it. And I think I threw myself also into the time period where knowing it was all practical effects. Um, so mm-hmm. practical first miniatures, uh, like we said, um, the only thing is that kind of took it down for me was uh, the suit the are more suit itself. Um, when you get that full body uh, and the inside of the gloves, that scene, fucking, that really gets me. That really hurts <laughs> me when he's in the yeah. thing and he puts this, the cuddle thing, um, like that, that pale green on the inside of the gloves, that, I don't know what it is, but it threw me off badly. Um, mm-hmm. That scene in particular is actually why I've knocked it down like that. Uh, but I thought everything else was so fantastic. Um, also remembering the the time period that it was shot in, like you were talking with uh, with the actual cameramen and the swings and back and forth in the action, the, the kind of lenses that these guys would have been using for t- such tightly shots um, mm-hmm. is really, really, really hard to control movement on. And we're talking 70s. So we're probably also actually talking early to mid-70s equipment as well. Um, So those cameras were massive. They were heavy. They still are. Um, And we would have talked physical changes in lenses in between whatever they're doing, just like we still do. Um, But those particular lenses and the weight – with no no gimbal systems, no like to kind of stop the anti shake, all those kind of things. Right. They did a fantastic thing because they had to. They were pinpointed like for a movie that was shot so close to the chest and face areas. They were going from face to face, and they had to be almost dead center every single time. Um, right, and there wasn't. I, I did pick up on a few things that there was half a trail back, but so minuscule that. Again, like we we're saying, I don't think I would have noticed it on VHS. Um, right, but I thought the camera, the camera work was amazing, um, mm. and it was all physical. Like we're not talking; they they stood back by like twenty meters, and they just used digital zoom to do what they need. <laughs> uh, no, these guys were right up in their faces. Um, after hearing some of the stories from the cameraman about crawling into like some of the walls in the set to be able to get the shot that they wanted to get, uh, these guys were phenomenal. Um, the set alone was amazing. Um, and yeah, I'd, I think in 94 was there's those few little things that took it down for me. Um, it could have almost been perfect with a new suit, to be honest.
1: Mm, mm-hmm.
0: like especially like I, i'm giving them a lot of slack with the time period but that's also where they get the high score because this was all pure physical talent and experience uh this wasn't right. anything that could be fixed up afterwards
1: yeah you you mentioned gimbal system uh for those who don't know what that is uh it's Slang for it now is Steadicam. Yeah. Uh, and it's basically an apparatus that you wear, that you hook the camera up to and whatever you're, you know, cause humans aren't steady, you oh, know, good. we're not, you know, static. We're always moving, always shaking a little bit. You know, if you try to record anything on your camera phone, you know, uh, I said camera phone, like I'm fucking 80 <laughs> years old. Goddamn.
0: It's my VGA uh, <laughs> camera.
1: And basically what a steady cam apparatus does or a gimbal system is it, compensates for human error and it keeps it deadlocked that's why you don't see a lot of shakiness anymore um they didn't have any of that they just had like 80 pound cameras with with yards and yards of film just in a tight space trying not to hit the back of the camera on anything
0: and if you had to hold that camera with your arm like dead straight out for 20 minutes to get a shot you held that camera out with your arm oh, yeah. for 20 minutes to get that shot
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just yeah it was so physically demanding and i think they did such an incredible job knowing that little yeah. bit like of how they would have had to have shot it back then uh so i think yeah. they get they get they should get way more props than they have in the past all right that brings us on to our, our next one for yeah, our rating sure. score
1: which I think, judging by your synopsis of the score earlier, I think we're going to differ hard on this
0: one. Oh, uh, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. Uh,
1: So, here's the thing about the score. Uh, I didn't notice it a lot. Um, I don't think it hurt the film at all. Uh, but I also didn't get the sense that it helped it either um and so here's the thing i watched the movie once you know and taking down notes and all that um i've listened to the score three times like the the soundtrack three times um and i cannot pick any any distinguishing you know melodies out um any any things that jumps out it feels like atmosphere music yes uh which is fine i think that was the point but it it gets a very you know this is fine from me. Like it it does its job. It doesn't do more than its job. It doesn't actively hurt the film. It's very middle of the road. I put it at seventy six. Okay. Basically a C.
0: Yep. Okay. Well, this this uh, this is weird then because I gave it a seventy. Oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Um. I gave it a seventy while agreeing and disagreeing with all your points at the same time. <laughs> so I put it at 70 because for a couple of reasons. One, I scored it low because CJ and I are both musicians. Uh, we play music. <laughs> we have both at some time taught music. So there are a few things that we would actually be looking in music. That wasn't there for me. Um, mm-hmm. And it sounds like it wasn't there for you either. There was there was no distinguishing. There was no main theme. There was nothing that really stood out. It was all atmospheric music. In saying that, that is also the part that I loved about it. Um, this isn't a soundtrack that you can really listen to or you'll hear again. You think, oh, that was an aliens? No, you wouldn't have a clue because it's it's background fluff. Um, but the fact that there was no there was no crescendos, no build up um to give that audio cue uh for scares and jump scares and like you know to build that tension i also loved it i don't know if that was a like a thought in the forefront of uh i think it was jerry jerry goldsmith um when he was doing the pieces for it or if this became uh something that was just played out as the movie was rolling because that's that's how they did music back then especially it basically gets played um, and music guys just kind of pull out a couple of tunes while it's going. And, and that can be that sometimes, especially for uh, the kind of score that you hear in this music uh, movie. So I scored it a little bit low because nothing stood out, but I also didn't score it low, low because I love the fact that nothing stood out. If that makes sense. <laughs> I, I think I'm, I think I'm, taking up what you're putting down. it's a, It gave me an atmosphere, which I honestly, that's what I think any musical score in a movie should do. It gives mm-hmm. you the atmosphere, it puts you in that place um, and I think that's exactly what it did. Um, if it had a big theme song uh, or some kind of memorable hook, I don't think it would have helped any. In fact, it probably could have hurt it a little bit. Um, but in saying that not having it Kind of did the same thing, so I yeah I thought seventy was seventy would do it.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think seventy's fair. Um, I'm not. I would. I wouldn't even say I was looking for something memorable. Um, that was something I noticed on re-listening that there wasn't <laughs> that there too was, much. <laughs> <there>. Luckily, <laughs> but uh, something you know, you said being a musician, you know, something I'm looking for in movies is to be moved or have my have my emotional state affected by the music somehow um especially with how much we play video games Um, yes you know i play a lot more video games on my stream than i think you do uh because you're doing a lot of the hobby stuff but um something that me and uh the buddy brigade my chat are always talking about is wow this music hits right here this this sets the tone for this you know and like um, also when we're you know watching other movies we comment on uh, music it's a big it's a big deal to me personally and i think to uh to my community uh when we're ingesting content and uh i actively thought huh i'm not noticing the music here yeah uh while watching it uh, so that kind of bummed me out a little bit especially like with being a horror classic because as much as it's a sci fi, it's a horror classic. Oh, yeah. And you look at big sci fi, you know, uh, you know, Star Trek, Star Wars, super, you know, recognizable music, uh, both the original series Star Trek and next generation. Uh, like I would even put uh, like Battlestar Galactica. You had yeah. same time period, like pretty noticeable music. And then when you go over to music in horror classics, halloween which came out oh, uh the same year or no maybe a year before uh 78 i yes, think yeah, Halloween yeah, came yeah. out uh so a year before you know you had halloween with the that beautifully done uh yeah, no, composition that, that and riff, then the piano uh friday the 13th is known yeah. for having great atmospheric mu- uh music even though those movies aren't great Uh, You didn't hear me say that. Uh, (laughs) And The Exorcist, which came out in 73, which, you know, I don't think relied on like the jump scare music cues, but gave a sense of an atmosphere and uh, memorability, Uh, which, you know, and all that, all that to just say that, like,
0: the music did its job fairly well, but kind of
1: not as well as I would have liked.
0: Yeah, and think, I think it was always the same in watching it. Um, like obviously, we'd already spoken about what we were going to score things, um, especially you know, the categories of what we were scoring. So they kind of become a little bit more forefront if I was, instead of if I was just sitting back watching a movie kind right. of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I actively thought as well. There is, there's not a lot of music in here. There's not a lot going on. That's that's a that's a very nice uh, E minor chord are gonna do something else um, that kind of thing that's that but was it it's not yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, our last category here um is vibe yeah. and you know we've talked about pretty much all of it uh so i'm gonna keep this short and sweet on my end uh, i already read the entirety of my notes for for vibe uh yeah. basically just all you mix all these categories together and the atmosphere and experience that alien gives you, uh, you don't want it to end like you want to be in there. There's a reason why this came out and sparked such a passionate following because it it was pretty much immediately. It was like yeah. it was almost like the kids who were 15 when they saw Star Wars were 17 when they saw alien. And it was like the grown up version and like they just took it and ran with it. Yeah. You know, we like we're talking about this, you know, over 40 years later. Uh, so overall vibe, you know, with the brilliance of storytelling, performance, and the cinematography, I gave Vibe a ninety-two.
0: Yeah, which that's that's fairly high praise, it was a good movie. Um, yeah, I did not quite go so high. I yes. I hit it with an eighty. Oh, oh, okay.
1: There was. If you guys couldn't tell, we, we didn't tell each other what the scores were no, beforehand, no. <laughs> so I'm, I'm reacting to this in real time, and I'm shocked.
0: <laughs> I am shocked and appalled. Um, <laughs> but look, I, I went a little bit lower because uh, there's a few things, and this is this is completely subjective. Um, mm-hmm. As much when we break things down, yes, it probably should have got a higher score considering the higher scores uh, in other categories, and this is kind of supposed to be almost an overview of, all, of the lot. The first half of the film, it didn't grip me. The first time I watched it, I the first time I watched it, mm-hmm. when I, I watched mm-hmm. it is when I scored everything because I thought that would be the fairest way. And I didn't know I was going to watch it a second time. Um, right. But the first time I watched it, the whole first act was... And I know it was tension building, um, but it just felt so dragged out and drony and... Which... Was, I definitely definitely uh, benefited the movie as a whole, uh, mm. but I noticed when I watched it a second time the amount of stuff that I missed from the first viewing because I wasn't actively engaged in that opening. Right. It was the little things I started to miss because I was starting to lose interest with how long it was taking to boot up. Now, theoretically, I think it was fantastic. Um, mm. Not having... Uh, any kind of main protagonist until, you are more than halfway through the film. Uh, You did get to meet the characters and kind of go through them a little bit. Uh, It sets everything up nicely. It does what it's supposed to do, but it didn't grip me. Um, And that might just be a bullshit small attention span kind of thing. Um, But when I'm not so engaged in a spot, I start to lose engagement. And... That's that. Really, that kind of got to me a little bit. Um, now I thought the end was fantastic, and of course, when I went back and rewatched it, um, the time that I rewatched it, knowing everything else that kind of went into it and how it goes, I probably would have scored a lot higher, probably up in the nineties, mid-nineties, to be honest. Um,
1: mm.
0: as, but no, I, I, think, I respect you going with your
1: first impression. Yeah, first I think impression. that's what my fairest. scores are too. Yeah. Um uh, yeah, no, I, I, I can see that on. Uh, especially with what little we talked about it before. Yeah. Uh, So overall, when you average out those scores, what did you get the movie overall? I didn't. Basically how we do that is we fucking, (laughs) we add it all up. We divide by five and that's our overall score. So my personal overall score, when you add up the five categories, uh, this movie got an 87.2. So we're locking in at official Cedric Jameson, 87.
0: An 87. Eighty three. Eighty three. Eighty three. So that was actually right. fairly close. Yeah.
1: So an eighty-seven from me, eighty-three from Heresy, five by two. That gives us an official This Movie Sucks podcast rating of eighty five percent out of a hundred. That is not a shabby score
0: whatsoever. Eighty five percent, I think I think it's fair. Yeah. I don't think some other diehard fans are going to. <laughs> There's a couple oh, of people I know that's gonna see eighty-five <laughs> percent and shit bricks.
1: Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, you but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh if you are shitting bricks about an eighty-five, just know that your boy Cedric Jameson, aka Bonnie Defender, AK, your mom's favorite Applebee's date. Gave it an 87. Uh, it was this guy that brought it
0: down over here. <laughs> it was me. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, no, my my scores are typically lower. It mm. Look, looks like- uh, uh, You had a couple that were higher than mine. Yeah, so cinema photog- cinematography, I went higher. Uh, everything mm-hmm. else, uh, uh, performance, we were the same. You scored higher in everything else. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think i I am just uh, I'm a little bitch and I am hard to <laughs> impress <laughs> If it's not perfect for me, it's not perfect
1: <laughs> i think I think we need to also acknowledge that this was our first time scoring like this. Yes. like normally, you ask me, what would you give this movie? I give you a general like how much I liked it answer yeah. That's what my letterbox is. It's just how much I liked the movies. Uh, this was very difficult. It is, uh, yeah. It's it's very difficult to to be scoring in these categories. You, you you really need to pay attention and give reasons why you're giving this subjective number. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'm very excited to keep doing this. I think yes. I think this was a great first episode. Um. Yeah. A great movie for a first episode.
0: I think it was to especially being since we hadn't actually seen it before. It fell into right. all those things. Like, it's a massive. It's a cult classic. It was a box office success. Um, how had we not seen it? Yeah, it two guys that are so heavily into movies that we haven't seen yeah. it. hmm mm-hmm. And I think that's a yeah. uh, that'll just about wrap us up for the very yeah. first episode of this movie sucks. We are planning to be <laughs> back uh, every single week. Uh, in the meantime. You'll catch uh, me, Heresy, on Heresy for Heretics on YouTube and Twitch. And I'm gonna roll out the red carpet for our favorite Bunny Defender. Where will we find you and win, my man? Uh,
1: you can find me on at uh, twitch.tv slash Bunny Defender. That's B-U-N-N-I-E-D-E-F-E-N-D-E-R. Uh, I'm... I mostly stream Monday, Wednesday and Saturdays, Eastern times, you know, usually around eight o'clock, uh, nine o'clock. We start on Saturdays. But uh, if you want to put w- watch content that I've already put out, that'll be there. Uh, the uh, recording on Twitch with of my interview with Tab Murphy is still up. He is the writer of Hunchback, uh, Atlantis, Tarzan, uh, Brother Bear. That's still up. So that's also Twitch TV slash Bunny Defender. So if you enjoyed this episode uh our inaugural episode be sure to check back next week uh where we talk about a a director and movie that both of us uh pretty much love it is Kevin Smith and his his latest Clerks 3 that'll be our next episode uh same
0: time same place Thanks for coming in guys and we will be back next week uh for our Clerks episode which we're all surprised that we put on our big boy adult pants and didn't do Clerks 1, 2, and 3 for the first three episodes of the podcast. <laughs> Catch you next week. Peace.